Well, greetings, everybody. It's my privilege to be sharing God's word with you today. So let's bow our heads and pray and ask God to open his word to us. And Father, that is our prayer. We thank you for this new day you've given us. We thank you for the opportunity of gathering together, whether we're on our own, whether we're uh, with other people, but uh, you're here with us and we thank you for that. And we pray that your word will be open to us now as we uh, seek your face, uh, Lord, that you would uh, speak to our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In Nehemiah chapter 8, uh, we saw last week that how the Israelites assembled themselves together and called Ezra the priest and the scribe to read God's word to them. So he did that from daybreak until noon. Uh, and the people evidently stood and they listened attentively for those five or six hours. Can you imagine doing that today? Imagine us doing that, listening to a sermon for five or six hours. I think we would struggle with that. But you need not worry, I'm not preaching that long today. However, that's the picture that we have in chapter 8. And you might say that in Nehemiah chapter 8, um, it was focused on God's word to them. And now in chapter 9, the focus is on their words to God or their response to God. You know, it's interesting how that works because in the discipleship called Master Life, uh, which we hope to run in our church in the not too distant future, there's a, uh, a section called the Daily Master Communication Guide. Uh, this guide encourages and teaches Christians to have a daily quiet time of Bible reading and journaling and prayer. And the interesting thing is that there are two questions asked after each Bible passage that you read. And those questions are, firstly, what God said to me? And then secondly, what I said to God? Uh, not only do I recommend the Master Life uh, course, but I also commend to you those two questions in your own personal daily Bible reading and prayer time. You know, what is God saying to you as you read his word? And just as a bit of a, a hint or a tip there, uh, you know, is there a promise? As you read God's word, is there a promise to claim? Is there a command to obey? Is there a warning to take note of and to adhere to? What is God teaching me from this passage of scripture? And what am I to do? What am I required to do about that? And so that's your response. God's word to me and what my response to him would be. And in chapter 8 and chapter 9 of Nehemiah, the people of God were doing these very things. They listened to what God was saying to them and then they responded to him in prayer. These are two critical elements or practices that need to take place in every believer's life who seriously desires to grow in their faith and in their relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Many of you have experienced for yourselves that when God's word is opened and read, it comes alive and it affects those who are exposed to it. I like what Warren Rearsby says about this. He says, it is refreshing to the soul that when you receive the word and allow the spirit to teach you. Isn't that so true? It refreshes you when you open your heart to what God is saying and allow his spirit to penetrate and to, to, to refresh you and to teach you. You know we, know, we know that there are many homes in Australia that have at least one Bible in the house somewhere. 
You know, I wonder if you know where that Bible is right now. Could you go and put your hand on that, you know? Because sadly, though there may be Bibles in every home, there not many Bibles are opened and read. Or even the online Bibles, which are freely available today. But for those, as it was in Nehemiah chapter 9, when the Word of God was opened to them, it came alive in their hearts as they listened, and it deeply affected them. And I wonder if you can identify with that yourself today, that your life has been changed because God's Word was opened to you. And you heard the Lord speak deeply to your heart. And you responded. You responded to Him. And you received His life-giving truth into your own life. I love what the writer of Hebrews says. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. That's what God's word does. And that's exactly what was happening in the, to the Israelites in Nehemiah chapter 9. God's living and active word affected those who listened and it affected them in a number of ways. And we see the evidence of this. Say, from exa for example, in verses 1 to 5, God's people separated themselves from all foreigners most of their problems arose out of compromising their position as God's chosen people. By mixing with other pagan nations, they fell into idolatry. They fell into immorality, compromising their covenant position with God. And it's the same for us who are God's people today through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're also to be separated from the world. Separated, not isolated. However... You may find yourself being isolated because of the COVID-19 virus at the moment. And that's a different form of isolation and it's necessary for this season of time. But be assured, believer in Christ, God is not isolated or separated from you. He doesn't need to comply with the social distancing, though you and I, do need to comply with that during this particular term of the, corona, of the coronavirus. You know, and just on that point, <clears throat> let me encourage you with this promise from God's word. Romans 8, 38, 39 says this, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you get that? Not even coronavirus can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. And I'm sure I heard many of you say amen to that. Thank you, Lord. You see, this is a promise that you can claim, as Paul did. Getting back to what the Lord means by his people being separate from the world, Jesus explained what he meant when he said this in John 15 and 19. He said, if you belong to the world, and he's speaking about his people, if you belong to the world, the world would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but have chosen, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. And then the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, teaches us this. 
in Romans 12 too, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. You see, the world wants to conform you to itself, whereas the word of God will transform you to himself. Warren Wiersbe says this, the better we know the scriptures and respond to them, the better we will know God and become like him. This was one of the positive effects of God's word having, that, that God's word was having on God's people in Nehemiah chapter 9. And verse, uh, verse 12, verse, sorry, verse 2 says, those of Israelite descent had separated themselves from all foreigners. So as they listened to what God was saying to them, they responded to him. And we will see the same kind of thing happening in Nehemiah chapter 10 and verse 28 next week. Another effect God's word was having on their lives was that they confessed their sins and those of their ancestors. Verses 2 and 3 says they stood in their places and confessed their sins and the sins of their ancestors. They stood, they stood where they were and read from the book of the law and of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day and spent another quarter in confession and in worshipping the Lord their God. And when we stand, you, you may have noticed this, that when we stand in the, in the light of God's holiness, how quickly it reveals our unholiness. Have you noticed that? including our rebellion, including our disobedience against God's perfect law and his word to us. And Israel recognised this and, and so confessed their sins and those of their ancestors who had sinned against God. And in verse 18, reference is made to the golden calf fashioned by their ancestors and calling it their God and blaspheming against the true living God as they did back in Exodus chapter 32 and verse 4. You know, someone has wisely said that when we become conscious of sin, we need to confess it, not suppress it. Let me say that again. When we become conscious of sin, we need to confess it, not, conf not, not suppress it. Confession will release you. Suppression will bind you. Remember the verse in 1 John 1 and verses 9 and 10 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim that we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. When a child of God knows his or her sins are forgiven, because they've confessed them to Lord, they've repented of that sin, they've confessed it to God, and claimed his forgiveness and they know that they've been purified from all unrighteousness because God promises that's what he will do because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us when he shed his blood to cleanse us from all sin. When we know this truth, does it not lead to worship and a thankful heart to God? It did here in Nehemiah chapter 9. <clears throat> the people, listen to what happened. They stood where they were and they read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day and they spent another quarter in confession and in worshipping the Lord their God. They cried out with loud voices to the Lord their God. They said, stand up and praise the Lord your God who is from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name and may it be exalted above all blessings and praise. 
They worship God. This is the God who forgives us of our sin when we repent of that and we confess and put it right with him. The brilliant scientist Sir Isaac Newton said that he could take his telescope and look millions and millions of miles into space. And then he added, but when I lay it aside and go into my room and shut the door and get down on my knees in earnest prayer, he says, I see more of heaven and feel closer to the Lord than if I were, to, if I, if I were assisted by all the telescopes on earth. And my dear friends, the truth is, you will always see more on your knees before the Lord Jesus who loves you and wants to reveal more of himself to you than you will find in any other place. And then from verses 5 to 31, which has been described as one of the most beautiful prayers outside the Psalms, the Israelites reflected on their past history of God's amazing faithfulness and provision toward his people. Their reflections carry us with them through the stories that we find in Genesis with Abraham, through Exodus and Moses and through the book of Judges, right up to their present situation. And they reflected upon the events that even when their forefathers rebelled against God, though he disciplined them, yet was still compassionate, was forgiving, he was gracious and merciful, and he did not abandon his people. Listen to these verse, listen to verse 17. They refused to listen and failed to remember the miracles you performed among them. They became stiff-necked and then their rebellion appointed a leader in order to return to their slavery. But you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Therefore, you did not desert them. One commentator uh, Ello Richards, he, he makes this point. He says, this prayer mentions 20 sins of Israel, but 74 facts about God's character. God's marvellous grace is, as the hymn writer says, greater than all our sins. And I want to encourage you today that if you don't already include this as part of your own time with the Lord, begin the practice of reflection as you read the scriptures. Reflect and recall the times that God has met you in grace and in mercy and in forgiveness. And as you reflect on that and as you're grateful to God for what he's done for you, it'll help you to forgive those who have hurt you. It'll help you to forgive those who have sinned against you. And that's what we need to do. We need to reflect on God's provision and on his protection. And then give him thanks. Bless his holy name. Remember those two questions, what God said to me and what my response is, what I said to God. Reflecting upon the word of God in terms of your own walk with God is a good and healthy habit to form. Yet it also helps you in your perspective in life to have a healthy and properly balanced perspective in life as well. You know, because God never changes Neither does his word or his promises to you and me. As God's word was opened before the people in Nehemiah chapter 9 and sprang to life um, before them, they were affected. And being affected, you could say that they, they then reflected, reflected on their failures, but, on, but also on God's faithfulness. And then finally, one could say they detected. They detected their need for repentance 
and to put things right with the God of their fathers. Verses 32 to 37 says that. Let me read a couple of those verses. 33 says, In all that had happened to us, you have been just. You have acted faithfully while we did wrong. Verse 36, But see, we are slaves today, slaves in the land you gave our forefathers so they could eat its fruit and other thing, good things it produces. Because of our sins, its abundant harvest goes to the kings that you've placed over us. They rule over our bodies and our cattle as they please. We are in great distress. And you notice here that they're not blaming God for their own circumstances or their situation. Their, their perspective through open, through the open, spoken and accepted word of God was now clear to them. They knew it was right. And as they reflected, they detected that the problem was their own doing. They said, we did wrong. They said, because of our sins. God often does get the blame, even by his own people. And we ought to be blaming ourselves and owning our own faults and failures, not pointing to God or anyone else. Listen to how God, when he appeared to Solomon one night after the temple was built, God explained his position on sin among his people by saying these words, and I'm sure most of us know them so well. Second Chronicles 7.14 If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. And I wonder if that could even be a word to us in our land today, and in our world during this time of coronavirus could it be a word from God to us in these circumstances that we find ourselves in you know at home we we have this uh, beautiful bougainvillea growing uh, it has a, a, a magnificent purple flower uh, but the thorns are vicious and I can remember one of these thorns one day when I was pruning this thing back one of these thorns from the branch fell onto my arm and it got stuck in my arm and it made it bleed. Well, I removed the thorn and washed the wound and I put a band-aid on it. A few days later, it was still quite red and, and sore and a little bit swollen. It wasn't healing. Something was wrong. And a closer examination, when I sat down and looked at it more closely, revealed that some of the thorn was still stuck in the wound. So I squeezed it and out came that remaining thorn. Uh, along with some other unpleasant stuff that you probably might imagine or maybe you prefer not to imagine it. But the point of my story is that while that foreign object was embedded in my arm, the wound would not heal, but it began to fester. It began to be infected and it was painful. You know, it was only by completely removing that object and washing thoroughly, cleaning the wound. Was it allowed to heal? And it did. And it's the same with unconfessed sin in our lives. It will cause you pain. It will fester. It will infect you. It'll give you no peace. And it won't heal. Only by doing what the people did in Nehemiah chapter 9, when they detected their sin, they confessed they repented, 
And it was dealt with, as we will see in the following chapters later on. But allow me briefly to share the reflections of the psalmist in his experience of grappling with sin in his own life. Listen to what happened to David. In Psalm, 23, in Psalm 32, verses 3 to 5, it says this, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover it up. I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. What a marvellous promise we have from God's word. And can you see in this chapter how it is that when the word of God is, is opened, when it's read and it's received, good things, powerful things, life-transforming things happen to the human person who receives, who hears and receives God's word. Why? Well, because God speaks. God speaks. Can you see why it is absolutely essential as a child of God to make part of your own lifestyle a daily reading of the Bible, which is God's word? And Joshua 1.8 says this, Do not let this book of the Lord depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything that's written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. I want to close with this challenge, though, to you today. The challenge is this. This week, if you're not already doing this, aim to read a small portion of the Bible each day. And as you do, ask the Lord to speak to you. Have a small notebook and simply write down those two headings, those two questions that I mentioned to you. Do you remember what they were? What God said to me what God said to me. And again, for example, is there a promise that I need to claim? Is there a command I need to obey? Is there a warning that I need to adhere to? What is God teaching me from this passage of his word? What am I required to do about it? When you ask questions like this, and maybe there's other things that you just want to reflect on, but it's listening to what God is saying to you. And after that, it's what you then say to God in response to that. Your response to him. And it may be a praise. It may be thankfulness. It may be confession of sin. It may be putting things right. But when God speaks to you, you need to respond. That's what they did in, in, in Nehemiah chapter 9. And you may want to do that right now. And after we close this service, you might want people to pray for you. There is that facility as you're listening There'd be people that you could ring. There'd be people that you could talk to online. There'd be people that would love to share with you and, and, and listen to you and pray with you and for you. Let's just pray together as we close the service now. Loving Father, we thank you that you are indeed a gracious God. You are compassionate. You are a forgiving God. But Lord, we need to also be right with you. We, we need to get right with you. We need to confess our own sin. We need to ask for your forgiveness. We need to come to the cross of Calvary where Jesus shed his blood for us and died so that we might be forgiven. 
We thank you for all that you mean to us. We thank you for the teaching that comes to us from the book of Nehemiah chapter 9 today. And pray that you help us to be people who will listen and ask that question. What is God saying to me? And then what can I say? What do I need to say to God as a response? Help us to do that, Lord, as we grow in yourself. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.